0: Hello, this is Marissa Schaefer and I'm here
1: with Dancewell Podcast. Today on our last episode of season 2, I talk with Dr. Miriam Rowan, who has her doctorate in clinical psychology, and Kate Wilson, a licensed clinical social worker, about finding and developing your voice as a young ballerina. Dr. Miriam Rowan, PsyD, is a licensed clinical psychologist in Massachusetts and New York, staff psychologist at McLean Hospital, and instructor in psychology part-time at Harvard Medical School. She also has a private practice based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Her areas of specialization include post-traumatic stress disorder, eating disorders, and self-injurious behaviors presenting adolescents and young adults, as well as performance psychology for athletes and performers. She earned her doctorate in clinical psychology from the PGSP Stanford Society Consortium in Palo Alto, California, completed her pre-doctoral internship with the NYC Health and Hospital System, and her postdoctoral fellowship in adolescent clinical psychology and dialectical behavioral therapy at McLean Hospital slash Harvard Medical School. A former professional ballet dancer, Miriam trained at the School of American Ballet and was a corps de ballet member of the San Francisco Ballet. In this vein, she is particularly versed in the experiences of performing artists and aesthetic sport athletes, as she provides performance psychology consultations in the greater Boston and New York areas. Catherine, or Kate Wilson, is a licensed independent clinical social worker with expertise in treatment of obsessive-compulsive disorder, anxiety and mood disorders, and eating disorders. She specializes in working with adolescents and young adults. She received her master's in social work from Smith College School for Social Work and completed a post-MSW fellowship at Yale Psychiatric Institute. Currently, she is a core staff member at Boston Behavioral Medicine in Brookline, Massachusetts, as well as a staff psychotherapist at Comprehensive Psychiatric Associates in Wellesley, Massachusetts. She is a former professional dancer, having danced in the Corps de Ballet at Pacific Northwest Ballet in Seattle, Washington, and trained at the School of American Ballet in New York City. Additionally, she worked as a wellness consultant at the Boston Ballet School and continues to work with pre professional and professional dancers in the greater Boston area. On this episode, we discuss the importance of maintaining and building diverse relationships and creating and fostering a sense of identity. Specifically, we discuss Pre-professional, young ballet dancers, a great number of whom leave home early and attend alternative high schools, like homeschooling or online schooling, and are sometimes separated from family in order to train to become a ballerina, which poses its own unique challenges to forming a strong sense of self. We hope you enjoy this conversation, and we look forward to seeing you in September for the start of DanceWell Podcast third season. Enjoy. Welcome to Dr. Miriam Rowan and Kate Wilson. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. I, you know, I think a lot of young ballet dancers either leave home to train, uh, leave home early to train, or um, are put into intensive training programs that help prepare them to be dancers uh, in larger ballet companies. And at this point, as young dancers, can you tell us a little bit more about what their social atmospheres look like in these rigorous training programs?
0: So, um Yes, and as you just noted, Marissa, I mean, both Miriam and I work with ballet dancers, but in terms of how we'll go about answering these questions, we also will use that lens um, Mm -hmm. and more specifically um, addressing these in terms of, you know, that these are, we're talking about adolescent ballet dancers ages about 13 to 18 who are on a pre-professional track, And so these dancers are immersed in highly specialized training programs that typically involve dancing three plus hours a day, six days a week, Mm -hmm. where the competition level is very high and great demands are put on these um, dancers, not only physically, but also socially and emotionally. Mm -hmm. So typically, you know, this um, subset of dancers often leave home um, and to pursue their training, um and there are a number of living situations that they might find themselves in um and this feeds right into obviously their social atmosphere so some live in dormitories some live in group housing and some live with relatives or family friends um the dormitories and group housing uh situations typically involve a residential staff that provides oversight and support um And then there are a subset of kids who don't leave home, who may live, you know, in New York City or in a major city um, with a major ballet school. Um, And those kids typically, though, have, um, you know, leave high school early, face long commutes and are often not returning home until late into the evening. Um, So in terms of what the social atmosphere is like, You know, in the ballet studio, outside of the ballet studio, the doors of the ballet studio, it's very homogeneous. Mm -hmm. Um, It typically just includes dancers who as a group are quite homogeneous. Um, They are very aesthetically inclined, very hardworking, dedicated and detail oriented. Mm -hmm. And they spend many, many hours of the day together, both in and outside the ballet studio, um, which keeps them uh, from really having a more typical high school experience so consequently their exposure to peers with you know vastly divergent interests and preferences is considerably narrowed mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. so thereby yeah. you know speaking to the homogeneity of, of the this social group right and I would add there also
2: that you know adolescents are in this rows of a developmental phase where social learning is one of the one of the important tasks right they're learning about their needs and friendship and um, who they like where they fit right all of those things and that um in that context right mm-hmm. um dancers are um, faced with a dilemma that i think other teens are not always faced with which is the idea of what i like to call. Cur- uh, refer to as sort of like this intimacy competition dilemma, right, right? right. where where they're, they're forming very close friendships and are sharing a distinct passion and training experience with their peers and are also finding themselves in competition with one another for things like parts and even jobs. Um, so social comparison ends up getting quite heightened mm-hmm. in some cases. Um, and you know this is the type of context that's difficult for even an adult to navigate, let alone an adolescent, right? So, mm-hmm. and then the question of whether this it um, whether this impacts the dancers social learning um, in a more of a long-term way, right, and quality of friendships later in life. So I think one of the things that I'm always advising when I'm working with dancers is just um, to maintain awareness over, over their friendships and, um, and what friendship means to them. And um, it can be helpful for dancers, in many cases, to maintain some non-dancer friendships yeah. um, just to keep that
1: experience of diversity in their friendship
2: experiences.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Um, for for kids, though, who are living in dorms um, or in group housing, like if they have, like, say, moved to New York City to go to School of American Valley, just for example, um, how do you suggest that they get out and meet new people to kind of keep a bit of a, a separate identity from the school? Boy, um, I think it's tough. Kate, you got this
0: one? <laughs> yes, I can speak to, from my experience in Boston, um, that efforts um, are made to um, using the residential staff as you know might happen in an a- academic boarding school. There are Um, sort of trips planned and um, activities such as getting engaged in community service Mm. projects. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but that's not still, you're still with your group yet, um, or also getting engaged in local, you know, religious institutions. So I have worked with students who, you know, became connected to a local church. And through that they met others who, you know, some peers of theirs that, you know, same age peers, but that were from a very different, you know, walk of life. Mm-hmm. So, um, mm-hmm. so that's, yeah, the, I mean, the, the, the staff makes efforts to see if they can help these kids to get out into the community and get more engaged with the world and see if that can result in more, you know, connections socially. Absolutely.
1: And I'm, I'm thinking here too, you know, I'm hearing you guys say, like, some of them live with their family, some of them don't, some of them live in these dorms. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm also thinking about adolescence, like, adolescence is a tough time, right? Because you you really need your family, but also, uh, I kind of, you know, also wanted to assert my independence at that point, and there are, these kids are, like, moving to, a, some of these kids are moving to mm-hmm. a new place where their new school becomes their family. Um, and I, I was kind of, I'm kind of wondering, like, how does this, how does this affect a developing dancer? Um, do you see, like, do you see that there are other figures who can kind of take the place of other important familial characters like your family or where do the, where do people get support? Where do dancers get support? Yeah,
2: I, I think it's a challenging, um, context, mm-hmm. um, for the most part. Uh, it, you Part of the work is um, helping adolescents gain greater independence. In terms of, um, does the school become a family? And I think, um, to some extent, there's a sense of intimacy that um, evolves with dance peers and teachers. And at the same time, they're not their family. Um, so there, there's just a the reality of that is. Um, the dance schools are really set up as a, as a training environment mm-hmm. um, in a lot of ways, um, and I think recognizing that reality is quite important in terms of problem solving, um, where to go from there, um, and, and teachers. And at the same time, teacher schools and companies they set the tone in terms of leadership. Um, and you know, if you think about the concept of social learning, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, social learning theory and the concept of modeling. It's, like the behaviors and values are pretty much influenced by what's modeled in front of them, and if they're living away from home, certainly they're getting that quite a bit more frequently than they're getting it from um, their parents and their family environment. Um, so, I'm typically encouraging parents uh, to continue to stay as involved as possible in, in just understanding what their child is grappling with developmentally mm-hmm. um, and just heightening the awareness for parents. Um, I think parents, when they're quite busy and they're you know, trying to um, support their child in a training, in a training institution and um, they're holding full-time jobs, it can be a little bit challenging to understand what their child is going through. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to bring that to their awareness is um, quite important. Um, because I have seen some cases where teen dancers experience a sense of disconnection from their families and their family culture, um, and if there's not that sort of intention set. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think it really behooves families to learn about dance culture as well, Absolutely. to really get a mental map of what their child is experiencing on a daily basis. Um, and the other piece is I think what happens is dancers can become quite self-reliant um, emotionally when that's not there. And there's pros and cons to that.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but they are thrust into an early independence and a competitive environment. So um, so in some ways that brings up a lot of strengths, which I'm sure we'll talk about. And in other ways, um, having parents stay involved is quite important.
0: Yeah. Yes, I would, to- I would underscore that. Yeah. Um... And I, in in my work um, with dancers, I have really seen how, um, you know, they are very, they rely a lot on their phones to really stay very connected to parents, whether Mm -hmm. it's, you know, um, through texting or, you know, FaceTiming. Often you see that happening on a very, very regular daily basis. And I think it is. To some degree, I think it I, I encourage, as Miriam said, too, I, I, I encourage it um, because I think it's critical for mm-hmm. these mm-hmm. kids who have so much uh, pressure on them, et cetera, that they really do need to see, literally see their parent mm-hmm. if they can on a regular basis and get that modeling and mirroring from them. Um, so I think that's the best case scenario and that can happen. And do... Uh... Kate, I mean,
1: you—you you pretty much just alluded to this, but I guess this is more for Miriam. Do you um, encourage kids to reciprocate? Like you—you you mentioned that the you encourage the parents to reach out and be and stay connected. Do you also encourage your patients, the young dancers, uh, to to reach out as often as uh, the parents do? Yeah. So, it of course, it just.
2: Depends on every parent-child relationship because mm-hmm. there's differences depending on depending on the parent-child sure, relationship sure. in a lot of ways. But but certainly, you know, one of the things that I'm always trying to teach teens that I work with across the board, whether dancers or not, um, one of the things I'm trying to teach them to do all the time is to develop the capacity to ask for what they need mm-hmm. um, more and more to recognize what their needs are, and then to be very clear with the people who are their support system. Um, what they need. And so absolutely it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity to, um, you know, although challenging to reach out from a distance, um, to build that capacity.
1: Um, just had a simple question. I, well, maybe not simple. Do you think that in the dance world in particular, it is hard for dancers to articulate what they need or feel like they have a right to ask for what they need? That is a great question.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Off script, but Yes, and I think feeds into your next question, right, in terms yeah. of how a dancer, yes, can do that and, and distinguish themselves, right, and allow their voice and their uniqueness to come forth.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah because so, I think, sorry, I think, you know, you mentioned it, like, how do you distinguish yourself and develop an identity when you're in such a homogenous community that has such a singular focus? And so you are mm-hmm. like all of your peers, yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Kate, yeah. Kate. one of the, one of the things that I, I remember Kate for is her observation, which is like blatantly obvious and yet not, um, and it took us a while to recognize is that dancers are in the studio, not talking most of the day. Right. Right. So it, there's, it's not that there's in, in something inherently bad about that. That's just that sort through of the occupational hazard of being in that environment is, yeah. and so it's just an area that doesn't get practiced. Like, Speaking mm-hmm. up for oneself is not something that could attract. Yeah. You. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, I think both of us would would say, and I, I feel like I can speak for you, Kate, because we've had these conversations, but both of us would say <laughs> okay. um, um, that um, we're like always working clinically with this population, stepping back so that they can have more time to speak, so yeah. that they can develop that, mm-hmm. that ability.
0: Yeah.
1: And are you. Yeah. Do you think that that should be happen with, happening within the dance studio too, or just within your your own work with your patients?
0: This is this
2: is a tricky question. I think there's a lot of room for conversation here. That. Um, that's waiting to be happened, you yeah. like what are the pros and cons of allowing dancers to speak a little bit more? Does mm-hmm. that, you know, we think about large companies like Google and, um, you know, Facebook and all these, you know, corporate institutions where, you know, in some way there's effort to sort of hear employees voices and hear, you know, and, and that there's benefit in having it be a bit more of a democratic process. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, dance, the dance world has all, has, you know, Louis the 14th, right? Like right. developed in that time. And I, and I think there's a, a lot of room for conversation in terms of like how do you bring dance into um, the modern world in that way? Um, p-
1: mm-hmm. Quite possible, but I think it's a dis- it's a conversation that needs to happen in an interdisciplinary space. Yeah, mm-hmm. that I agree with, and I also think it would it will be a slow evolution of um, mm-hmm. in, slowly including yeah. this stuff. You know, in the work that I do, I'm I'm always having. Um, I'm always coaching dancers to, uh, to get to class early to just speak to their instructors to mm-hmm. say, hey, you know, I'm in physical therapy right now and I'm working with blank and, and I might need to modify this. Um, and, and um, you know, in mm-hmm. s- telling the, the dancer right. that, this is that this is important and this is something that needs to be done, like it's still very hard for them to find that voice, I think, especially when they're younger and still training. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I would say, at least in my work with, um, individually with certain dancers, you know, this idea they're so gritty and they can really tough it out. And there's some, something about it that feels valiant, okay, right? that feels mm-hmm. like I'm doing a good job if I, if I can endure this. And, um, and I think the, the issue there is then we don't actually accept, um, when problems come up.
0: Mm-hmm. quality of the
2: problems. And so then we're not actually problem solving, um, different right. things like injuries and pain. And, uh, so it doesn't move us forward and we're not working smart,
1: right. So mm-hmm. always encouraging them to speak up for the sake of yep. working smart. Absolutely. And I actually think that we can train ourselves to just straight up ignore everything. So we're not only not problem mm-hmm. solving, but at some point we're accruing so much, um, you know, mental, physical, uh, Damage, so to speak. I know that's a pretty strong word, but, um, that it it could be deleterious to us in the future. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So
0: in, um, you know, in my work with dancers, um, I, you know, would speak to them a lot about what we're talking about and, you know, we would, talk about how you know there there are so few opportunities for them to practice mm-hmm. you know using their voice and strengthening their sense of self and feeling confident about um really putting in words how they feel so um some little things that were developed that we've developed within the context of the school where I was the wellness consultant was, you know, the dancers said, we don't even have access on a regular basis to speak to the director of the school, Mm. you know? So I would often say to these kids, you know, let's think of the ballet school as like a regular school, you know? And so a principal is typically pretty accessible. So um, to students. So we, Um, put into place a there was a weekly drop in hour Mm -hmm. for students to access the director Mm -hmm. and she well she really understood how important this was and the hope was that the kids could you know use this and practice you know being able to get more comfortable using their voices and accessing the director and not being so afraid of her and what she might say or not say so um so that was a, t- a small step, Absolutely. but I think a really important one, yeah. um, and clearly so much more needs to happen, but yeah. it's, you know, sometimes those little tiny steps that really make a difference. So Right, yeah. and um, might
2: I also add that you, there is a, a true power dynam- dynamic that exists mm-hmm. here, and um, yeah. training dancers to at least start in small ways by even Mm -hmm. just asking questions to get more information, right? Right. It need not be that they go up and say right away, like, this is what I think it, although, you know, certainly that ends up sometimes being more well received. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but that, but there's a certain amount of like, start small and see where it goes, right? Mm -hmm. Every, every
1: director, every teacher is different in terms of how they're going to respond. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we're in the twenty first century. How does email yep. fit into all of this? <laughs> How does what email? Email, yeah. Are 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 teachers often accessible um, by email if 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 kids need to ask questions? Yes, I
0: yes, I have found that. Um, particularly, I found that parents utilize email Mm -hmm. because they are also they particularly those that are not local feel very disconnected from what's going on certainly um and so i would encourage parents to absolutely direct emails to the director so that they could make sure that they were engaged in getting their questions addressed so that was something that i saw felt very encouraged about that you know um that was well received so You know, the hope is that more and more of that can happen.
1: Absolutely. Is that something that you ever encourage uh, the students to do too?
0: Sure. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, sometimes that's like first, that's step one. It's even, you know, a beginning like Mary. so these tiny, tiny steps. Sometimes an email is easier Mm -hmm. than dropping in uh, to to speak directly to the director. Mm -hmm. So that's a good way to start practicing for sure. Awesome.
1: (laughs) Um, I want to circle back around and talk a little bit more about um, developing an identity. I mean, because we mentioned a couple times, you know, that we're in this homogenous community. Um, Is there room for a developing dancer to develop a unique identity to kind of differentiate themselves from the group? Do you think? Absolutely.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So Kate and I had a whole discussion about the term of, like, early specialization, right? Right. And, like, so in, um, there's a lot more literature out there on, in the field of sports psychology than um, dance psychology um, for, you know, many reasons, um, but uh, they use this term early specialization, mm-hmm. which is really the idea of like something that's a singular endeavor that's taken up at an early age, high-intensity training, and quite competitive, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, where there's, like, very subtle differences um, in performance mm-hmm. that lead to very large career differences, right? So it gets people very, very focused and, and very specific early. Uh, and the impacts of that are really... Um, can be a lack of opportunity to diversify experiences, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And sort of this identity foreclosure, where it's like there's a lack of exploration prior to making the decision, I'm going to become a dancer. Mm -hmm. So obviously an occupational hazard, um, albeit I think somewhat necessary given the career, the timeline, career Mm -hmm. timeline for dancers. Uh, But in my work, um, I'm always thinking about how can we get, um, these kids to, um, think more creatively and flexibly about, um, the bumps that, that uh, come their way and how can they, um, how can they get, um, exposure to culture and travel and, um, sort of mainstream society. And, um, oftentimes, um, the, sort of thinking about like creative pursuits, like uh, journaling, um, mm-hmm. collages. That kind of thing comes up a lot as an interest for um, some of the uh, the girls that I work with, uh, where they just feel like they have a space to open up and um, self express mm-hmm. in that way. Um, and then, of course, again, um, trying to do something with a group outside of the studio,
0: right? Yeah, right. It's they, they, right because they, their world is yes. We keep saying is so homogenous and 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 narrow, um, right? And a lot of these kids just you know don't even know what goes on outside those doors. So yeah, uh, it's so important to. Yeah. And they have they can you know it's not yes their time is limited but you know, um, they they can build it in. Um, right. So. Yeah. There's a
2: myth, too, and I don't know, Kate, if you experienced this in your training. I, I certainly did, but this sort of myth that, um, if I'm not 110% dance, mm-hmm. dance, dance right. every day, that that means I don't love it, I don't care about it, and yeah. I'm not fully, as, as fully invested. Absolutely. And, mm-hmm. and I'm very clear in saying that that's actually quite a myth because, yeah. um, because of the, the part of this that we miss sometimes, that this is an art form, right? And, and, you know, some of the greatest artists is that you need to take in the culture around you, right? And get out there and start to understand emotional expression, understand how, um, what the world of ideas, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And and if you pitched it to dancers that way, I find when I pitch that to dancers, Um, in that context, it's like a light
0: bulb goes on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes more valued, which I absolutely agree it is not valued. Um, to veer off that path, that very straight and narrow path. It has been historically anyway, thought to be, you know, risky and uh, right. That you'll be seen as not, you know, committed, enough. not yeah. enough. Right. And that it's, you know um, and that that's not good, but yet, you know, for example um, in my own experience, as I was going through high school Um, I actually took a whole summer off of dance Mm. and went to a boarding school away, sort of an academic boarding school up in New Hampshire, because I said, I just want to do something different. And in fact, it really had no I mean, it it, it didn't hurt my dancing experience, if anything, and enhanced it to have a summer off and to to um, grow and develop in other ways. So. I, yeah, think- I mean, that's, that's a little risky, but I did it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I personally, like I hold that that um, belief about myself where if I'm not always reading something about physical therapy, then I'm not 100% dedicated to like what I do, which I don't know, maybe, maybe it's left over from my dancing days. But I've actually found that if, to your point, Miriam and Kate, if I take a second um, and on the subway allow myself to read. A book for pleasure. <laughs> Whoa! Mm-hmm. Um, that when I actually return to doing reading or to to studying for something, um, that I am more ready to give my attention to it, um, and mm-hmm. I'm more invested. So I would. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. Yeah. We call that we call that a mini vacation. Yes. <laughs> a, mini vacation. <laughs>
1: a mind vacation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the other
2: piece of this is like dancers, absolutely as part of the profession, need to maintain uh, a, a structured schedule. They like, can't have these like days where they go with no sleep, right? And the performance is, is impacted by the, those types of um, kind of getting off rhythm. And so there's a certain amount of routine that, like, at, at – one, on one hand, is very very helpful, and then um, if adhered to you with a certain level of rigidity, can actually yeah. become quite problematic. And so it's always sort of teasing apart with the dancer, like, where do you stand with this? And is there any room for you to sort of play? Because without play, there's not you're not exercising that part of your mind and your body that um, it has to do with creativity and spontaneity, and that is absolutely essential on stage.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Can you actually give us an example of um, a very rigid habit that someone might have that, and then uh, an example of where you might add in the play?
2: Hmm. That's good. Um, Let's think. Um, I wanted to give an example. Kate, you have one?
0: Well, I I mean, the rigid, I was going to say that, um, you know, dancers spend an inordinate amount of time in preparation Mm -hmm. for, classes, rehearsals. So, and I mean, I mean, hours and, you know, preparing their equipment. Um, And it's, I see that sometimes it becomes very compulsive Mm -hmm. um, and absolutely unnecessary. Um, And um, so I feel like that, I don't know if that's a good example, um, but I I feel as if um, that's an area that I have talked to dancers about uh, you know, why do you need to be there so early? Why do you need to be so focused on these pieces? Why don't you, you know, do something different before you come to class? Why don't you listen to a book on tape or have a discussion with your other dancers about a book you're reading or something so that you're not so focused on this, the preparation for your day, which just becomes, again, I think, quite obsessive.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. About like the warm up routine, right? Is it like dancers they find their warm up routine that works really, really well, mm-hmm. and then it's like they're doing it and and it's working, it's working, it's working, and then something just shifts in the, in the, the the season or the you know, the time, just in terms of uh, where their bodies are at, and and it becomes unhelpful, like what you're saying, and then and then it's like how do you teach them to step back and do an inventory of what's going on right? <laughs> um, and then recalibrate.
1: Right, yeah. Good. Um, let's talk about education too because I imagine education to an extent is disrupted when you go to such a uh, rigorous mm-hmm. training program. Can you talk a little bit about
0: that and what kind of effect that might have on a dancer? Sure. Um, so fortunately... Now that we're in the 21st century much has changed regarding how dancers are able to complete their high school and college educations you know decades ago young dancers would simply drop out of high school and not return or complete their ged years later and so now it's you know due to the efforts of people in the dance and educational world most dancers are able to stay on track educationally with respect to completion of it, mm-hmm. that may not, it doesn't necessarily speak to the quality of it, um, but there are a number of typical options for dancers um, to, that include, um, there are especially designed schools um, like professional children's school in New York city. Um, there are not a lot of those, but there are some in the country. There are online high school programs Um, That a lot of dancers attend and and then the other options include continuing in either one's private um, or public high school with Mm. modified programming and each option really has strengths and challenges, Um, you know, the online high school work, while very flexible um you know the student essentially is working alone on right. a laptop for hours and hours a day with little peer interaction minimal interaction with teachers so it's there are definitely some real challenges in that mm-hmm. um, you know and then challenges too you know if you remain in a private high school for example you know you the, the academic demands um right you know, can be very, very high. Although the benefit is that you can continue to access what, you know, an elite education can give you so that you can be better prepared for what may come next. I.e. whether it's, whether you are going to dance professionally or whether you're going to go to college, you you know, it sets you up in a better way.
1: Mm -hmm. So, And do you think it Mm -hmm. sets people up socially as well in a different way? If they're going to the public, public or private
0: high school? I think yes, because I think it while not easy, I think it, you are, that you're surrounded by a more heterogeneous group of your peers. Mm -hmm. So there is the possibility that you can maintain and sustain a friendship with someone who is not a dancer. Right. Um, so I just think it keeps, you know, things, you know, I don't know, It just you can see that there are other things besides dance and allows for access to that. Um, so, um, so you know, in the end, I, the I definitely the pluses um, are that these dancers also really gain a lot of academic independence, particularly if they, well, in any of these settings, um, which really sets them up nicely, particularly if dancers then go on to. Dance professionally and want to attend college online. They, you know, they've they've accomplished this in high school, so then they can accomplish it hopefully, you know, at that level. So that's a real benefit too mm-hmm. um, with the online learning piece.
2: Yeah, and and I would also add, you know, we're always talking about this. Like, this is case specific in the sense that, like, for for some dancers. Working independently is perfectly fine. And then there are cancers who may have um, learning disabilities of sorts, um, ADHD, you know, all of that, which then um, is another layer of support that um, one has to figure out how to implement
0: in the midst of a busy schedule. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah, And that can be very stressful. I mean, I've seen dancers who are doing online learning who are struggling in particular subjects Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's very hard for them to access resources to help them. And then they may have to find a local tutor. Um, so it can be really difficult to, I mean, I can't imagine, I can't myself imagine navigating, you know, algebra by myself let alone right yeah. algebra by yeah. yourself at
1: 12 yeah. <laughs> in a new training yeah. environment right. without your family
0: yep. very potentially yeah. stressful if yeah. that's not right. your strength or you have yes as, as Miriam said a learning disability of some kind
2: Right, and some dancers can be, like, some of the most high-performing students mm-hmm. academically, but dance is also, for a lot of these kids, their first love. And, right. and then it, being in a learning environment academically that isn't, you know, they're not st- sitting in front of charismatic teachers all day, I mean, you wonder how that affects um, sort of yeah. know, what their interests are later down right. the line. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. So I think yeah. it's something, something for it's families to really take a look at and, and consider in their
0: child. Right. Right. I mean, it's certainly right. While convenient and many pluses again, yes, that's a definite potential real pitfall that is really important for parents to think about when they say, oh, let's just put our kid in online high school. Right. It could have real ramifications down down the road in terms of, yeah, their interests, their educational and academic interests moving forward.
1: I'm also Mm -hmm. thinking about, you know, the we brought up before, um, learning how to articulate your needs. I imagine, again, if you're in an in-person school, like a professional children's school or the likes, um, that is another place where you can work on those skills. So if you're more predisposed to being a shy introvert, I can imagine online schooling would just instill that, (laughs) as opposed to Mm -hmm. help you kind of come out of your shell. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. There's yeah. a lot of learning between the lines and not just in the classes, right? A
2: yeah. Bit, um,
1: yeah. Great. This out on. yeah. Um so I think we've actually done a pretty good job of picking up some of the strengths of, you know, being a dancer, but I also know that there's a lot that can be criticized about how dancers are trained. Uh, and but I also think there's a lot to be gained from training to become a dancer. Like for myself, I um I think that a lot of my like strong worth at work ethic and dedication came from years of dancing, um, and I was kind of wondering what are some of the other psychosocial benefits you see from dancer, uh, see dancers reap from these programs? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I, one of the things that I always think of is, and I think dancers
2: are known for this, um, I know that I've gotten this response meeting people and they say, oh, you were a dancer, right? Like, you must be really a hard worker, right? And um, Indeed, there's quite a bit of truth to that, um, just in terms of um, planning, organizing yourself, um, mm-hmm. discipline, being able to stay in the game when it gets tough. Like, mm-hmm. like those are just incredible assets for life. Uh, and then, of course, there's, like, just the professionalism that these kids are learning at such a young age mm-hmm. that carries through um,
0: to anything they do later on in life. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, the benefits physically are, you know, ma- wonderful, right, to be able to hone your body and to be able to do what it can do. And then I know sort of through one's life, this has been the case for me, that I do my very best to take you the know, best care of my body um, as I continue to age and, you know, really you know, appreciate the benefits of strength and flexibility, and you know. Um, so that's another piece. I think the other piece too is the you know the artistry mm-hmm. that um, dancers develop and can continue to keep with them through their lives. Their appreciation for beautiful music and you know moving you know your body you know with music. So. Um, I think that that's an enormous gift that continues to, you know, be carried along with you through one through your life. So. Mm
2: -hmm. yeah. Yeah, indeed. And I and going back to that idea of being a part of this, this history and this heritage of dance, I think dance education can often do a really nice job of helping uh, dancers see themselves um, in context of a broader society and mm-hmm. a place in history, right? Mm-hmm. And so that sense of meaning and purpose um, can be so infused into the training and, um, and then can be something
1: that they think about um, in anything they do moving forward. Mm-hmm. I Absolutely. Agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, thank you for sharing that. I was wondering before we wrap up, is there anything else that you guys wanted to bring to the table that we think we
0: may have missed? Um, I, I don't know. I think maybe what this has really come through and what we have talked about, mm. um, but I think um, you know, working with dancers is an incredible privilege and pleasure um, because they have all of these strengths that we've spoken to and um, I feel like you know as we've also discussed we know what some of the challenges are and it's it's very it's really rewarding to, to be able to help them grapple with some of the, the you know they, they, they have to grapple with some significant you know decisions and you know um, you know at a young age so they just they're I find them to be really wonderful to work with. And I'm very grateful (laughs) that they're out there and willing to access, you know, mental health services.
1: Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah. I I mean, going back just a a little bit to the idea of like dancers are trying to be performers. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and often it can feel like a Sense, there's a sense of like, oh, I'm I'm weak if I need help, or I, or I'm not allowed to express um, my weakness or my doubt about certain things, and how hard it is then to seek help right? Mm-hmm. Um, from that place. And especially when um, I think what happens for a lot of young dancers is that the people around them really idealize them. And will say, sometimes we'll, we'll, you know, use the term like, oh, you're the dancer, right? And, and that identification so quickly with that mm-hmm. um, leaves very little room sometimes for dancers to even consider that they would be something else, right? right. Um, so, yeah, so I think that's just a... It's, again, an occupational hazard and one that when talked about uh, brings it to the fore and makes it possible to work with. Mm
1: -hmm. Absolutely. Um, Well, again, thank you. Thank you both so much for sharing your wisdom and your perspective. I really appreciate it. Um, And I would also love to give our listeners a chance to get in touch with you. Uh, Can you both let us know what's the best way to reach out? Sure. So um, the
2: best way to reach me is by email. Um, if you um, simply type in doctor, so dr, the abbreviation, dr dot Miriam Rowan at gmail.com. Great. So my name is M-I-R-I-A-M-R-O-W-A-N.
0: And the best way for, to reach me is also by email, and that is, the initial K Wilson, W I L S O N, at therapy secure, that's all one word, dot com Great. Thank you both so much.
1: On behalf of Ellie and myself, I, Marissa Schaefer, want to say thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on this episode of Dancewell Podcast. Like what you hear? Go to Stitcher, iTunes, or SoundCloud and search DanceWell Podcast and subscribe. You can also view all of our episodes and learn more about this podcast by visiting our website at www.dancewellpodcast.com. We wouldn't be where we are without generous contributions from our listeners. Your contributions help pay for our SoundCloud membership, website fees, upgrades, and our recording technology. If you too would like to make a contribution to DanceWell, please follow the link in the description of this podcast to visit our GoFundMe page. We thank you in advance for your support. And lastly, if you have questions or want to get in touch, email us at dancewellpodcast
0: at gmail.com. Bye.